Psalms chapter 26. Psalm 26. Psalm 26, beginning at verse 1. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers, and I will not, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thy honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, and whose hands is mischief, and the right hand is full of curse, full of bribes. But as for me, I walk in mine integrity. Redeem me, and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. The title of the message tonight simply walking in integrity. The word integrity is used two times in this passage. In uh, uh, verse 1, and then also again in verse 11. And the, the word integrity means innocence, to live uprightly, used of simplicity of mind. You know, the Bible says in Romans 15, we ought to be simple concerning that which is evil. You know, the world world will tell you, well, you got to experience it to know about it. No, you don't. You don't have to experience it. Uh, what the Bible says about it is true, and if you watch mankind, you'll see that that bears out what the Bible says is true. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's not hard to see the fruits of drunkenness. It's not hard to see the fruits of a lifetime of smoking. It's not hard to see the, the fruits of a lifetime of sin. If you just look, it's it's everywhere. Uh, but the word integrity means to is used of simplicity of mind, which is opposed to mischief or ill design. Um, so it's, it's innocence, you know, for example, in second Samuel chapter 15, verse 11, it says, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called and they went in their simplicity and they knew not anything. So they simply thought they were going to shear some sheep. They had no idea Absalom was planning a coup to overthrow his father. And run him out of Jerusalem. They didn't know that. So they went in their simplicity. In other words, they had no mischief in mind. They had no ill design. First Kings chapter 22, verse 34, uses the word venture here. says, a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints. This is talking about Ahab. When Ahab and, and uh, Jehoshaphat, remember, went to battle and Ahab disguised himself. And so this man drew a bow at a venture. He didn't even know what he was shooting at. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't aiming for, for Ahab. He just shot, you know, hoping he'd hit somebody, hoping it was an enemy. And he did. He hit. So in his innocence or, you know, simplicity of his mind, he had no ill will to the king. 
but in his instance, he drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore, he said unto his driver's chariot, turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. So integrity has the idea of innocence. So it's to live uprightly. You know, Job retained his integrity, his innocence, which he was. So it, it, but as we think about this tonight, if we're going to walk in integrity, I've got six things here from this passage of this chapter, these 12 verses that, that are prerequisites, I believe, to walking in integrity. First of all, there needs to be dependence on the Lord for defense, for our defense. We have to learn to dep- depend on the Lord for our defense. And this t- has two parts to it. Number one, for protection from the enemy. We have an enemy that's out to destroy us. He's out to take away that integrity from us. And it says in verse 1, judge me, O Lord. And the word judge here doesn't mean to scrutinize or to examine. The word judge here means to, has the idea to defend anyone's cause. So the psalmist is saying, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. So, Lord, come to my defense. That's the idea here. So it's, it's defend anyone's causes, especially the poor and oppressed. And the Lord will judge or come to our defense, or judge our cause. He will judge on our behalf. That's kind of the idea. First Samuel 24, 15 uh, David, speaking to Saul, said, The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee, and plead, and that's actually the word is plead, plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. Uh, and again, in 2 Samuel 18, 19, it uses the, the word it's used, it's the same Hebrew word, is avenged here. It says, Then said Ahimez, the son of Zadok, Let me now run and bear the king, uh, bear the king tidings, how the Lord hath avenged, or he hath judged him of his enemies. Of course, we're speaking about when they'd killed Absalom. So the Lord had judged his enemies, or he had avenged him of his enemies. And, and there's a New Testament example of this. In Luke 18, 7, the Bible says, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with him? So the Lord will protect us from our enemy, and we need to depend on the Lord. We're not, we're, not, we're not powerful enough in our own strength. You remember what the, Jesus, the Lord told the disciples before he left them? You know, you're going to be, you're gonna be you know, the world's going to hate you. It hated me, and you're going to stand for a witness, and don't premeditate before what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you, fill your mouth in that day. Now, that's my version of what the Bible says, but that's what it says, you know, uh, in, in my own words. So the Holy Spirit, in other words, you need, you're going to need the Spirit of God. He told Saul, you're going to stand before kings. And, and so the Lord uh, pleaded his cause. Uh, Psalm 10, verse 18 says, to judge, again, that means to come in defense of, to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. And then Psalm 43, 1, judge me, O God, and plead, and there's the word again, is plead, Plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful man, a deceitful and unjust man. So, so we need to, the Lord to come to our defense, and he is our defender. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, I was thinking about this in a New Testament passage. In, New, in Romans 8, I think is a good one. 
Romans 8, verse 31 to 34, says, Who shall then, who shall we, or I'm sorry, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. You know, we have an adversary that accuses us day and night before our, our Heavenly Father in heaven. That's the old devil. He's accusing us. But the Bible says here, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for him. And you remember how this chapter starts out. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. So who is it? Who? So it has to be, if, if somebody's got condemned you, it has to be greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ defeated Satan in his temptation while he was here on earth. And he, overcame, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and, 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 the, and Satan's power by resurrecting from the dead. So who is it will lay charge to God's elect? And so we have this protection from the enemy, so we need to depend on the Lord for defense from the enemy. Secondly, we also need dependence on the Lord for defense to provide protection from ourselves. We are our own worst enemy. The devil's not my biggest problem. It's me. It's me. And the psalmist said in verse 1 again, the last half of that verse, I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. I have trusted, therefore I shall not slide. The word slide means to waver, to totter. To wonder, you know, wonder back and forth. Psalm 119, verse 10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. In Psalm 19, David understood this when he said in Psalm 19, verse 11, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, talking about the law of the Lord, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. That is known sins. And he talks about being cleansed from his secret faults. But also from his known sins. So he's asking the Lord to keep him from sliding or wandering or straying. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the... Thy sight, O Lord, my strength, my strength and my redeemer. So, <clears throat> so we need the Lord's strength to help us to be our strength for ourselves. Uh, Psalm, Psalm 18, verse 1 says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my strength. Uh, in Jeremiah 16, 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. You know, what gave Jeremiah the strength and the courage to continue on? You know, he was told from the very beginning, you know, you're to prophesy, and I'm going to make you like a brazen wall 
but they're not going to listen to you. Who'd want that job? Uh, <clears throat> oh, you know, I listened to them. They, they attempted to kill them and all kinds of persecution. Uh, so, but he said, the Lord is my strength and my fortress, my refuge. Uh, in, in Exodus 15, when Miriam and the women sang, they said, oh, Lord, my strength. And uh, I'm sorry, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. And I will prepare him in habitation. My father's God, and I will exalt him. In John chapter 15, in John chapter 15, and Jesus, again, uh, just before he goes into the garden, the last words before he was crucified to his disciples and some of the last words, he said, I am the true vine. I'm sorry, in verse 8. Abide in, uh, verse 4, I'm sorry. Abide in me, John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself, except that abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. So he says, except you abide in me. If you don't abide in me, you, know, you can't bring forth fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Yet we are powerless spiritually without the Lord. Bain is the help of man. There's no help in man. It's all the Lord. And so the strength to bear fruit is in the Lord, abiding in him. Just like a, 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 you know, it's the branches of the tree. It's not the trunk that you see the fruit on the tree. It's the branches. And we are the branches. He's the trunk. But that branch, is, if it's separated from the trunk, there's no fruit. In fact, it's dead wood. It's dead wood. And so we need to re rely on the Lord as our strength. You know, even Paul said in Romans 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. Galatians 2, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. So it's not me. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So it was no longer, it wasn't the strength of Paul that enabled him to do what he did. It was the Lord. He was abiding in the trunk of the tree, if you will. And so we need that dependence on the Lord for our, for our strength. So there needs to be dependence on the Lord. Secondly, there needs to be a, the diagnosis of the Lord. Notice in verse 2. Oh my God. I'm sorry, that's not the wrong chapter. Verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Uh, he says to examine. So there's a, there needs to be a diagnosis. To examine means to scrutinize or to investigate. Do you like your life investigated? 
Psalm 17.3 says, Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night, and thou hast tried me, and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that thy mouth, my mouth, shall not transgress. You remember when Job, Job was uh, lost everything they had, and he said, you know, and he said uh, The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job cursed not with his lips. He didn't sin. Even though everything was taken, he was sorely tried. But here it means to investigate. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So to walk in our integrity, we have to allow the Lord to search us, to examine us. And we, we, we are... We are to examine ourselves in light of the word of God. You know, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. In other words, we need to examine every teaching according to the word of God, and we need to examine ourselves according to the word of God. We allow it to search us. As Hebrews 4, 12 tells us, it, it, it discerns the, the the joints and the marrow to discern of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. So that's searching. So we need to allow the Lord to examine, to search us. We need to also allow him to prove us or to test us. This is a little bit different. As he says there in ver- again in verse 2, um, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Prove me. That means to try, to test uh, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 12, Daniel said this to Melzar, Prove thy servants. I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Now, when Daniel was saying, Prove thy servants, he wasn't really saying, he wasn't saying, Daniel wasn't proving himself. You know who he's proving? The Lord to be true. Because he was just, Acting in obedience to the word of God. So he was putting God's word to test in his life. Proving it to be true. So he said, give us Paul's teeth. He was proving God's word true. He was proving that God's menu was better than the king's. That's what he was proving. And... He was being, t- yes, he was being tested. Would he take God at his word or not? See, that's really what it means. We need to take God at his word. Obey him, and he will prove himself true in our lives. God will be, God will be a liar to no man. And so, examine me, and then prove me. You know, sometimes, you know, God does try to prove us and we fail. We're in good company. Abraham was tried or proven several times. You know, famine came in. And always in the Old Testament scriptures, a famine is a type of judgment or test. Famine came into the land. God, you know, when he, when, 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 when he brought, when the Lord brought him into the land, he said, you know, this is the land I'm going to give you. Dwell there. But a famine came. So he went to Egypt. Failed the test. See, he didn't wasn't quite the place where he trusted everything yet with the Lord. Uh, and of course, one other time they went to Abimelech, 
Uh, and he got himself in trouble in both places. But, but of course, later on when uh, he, the Lord asked him or to prove his word true, that, you know, that, that the promised seed Isaac, that, that he would be resurrected from the dead, he passed the test. He obeyed God's word. So, so we need to prove him. We need to allow him to diagnose us, to examine us, and to search us and prove us. Thirdly, there needs to be a dwelling in his goodness. Notice verse 3. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. Loving kindness. The word loving kindness is, you know, the, the, it's a combination of two words, love and kind. Uh, it means kindness, goodness. There's a lot of, lot of uh, uh, definitions you could put to it. Uh, kindness, goodness, merciful, favor, all these things are true of the word loving kindness. But look at Titus chapter 3 and verses 1 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> The Bible says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love, so you have love and kindness, Kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing and regeneration and renewing the Holy Ghost, which he shed in us abundantly, that is his kindness and love, he shed in us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, of course that's his favor, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are prof- good and profitable unto men. Notice he says, these things that thou affirm constantly. You know, we need to be reminded of these things constantly. Of the loving kindness of our God. The psalmist said in Psalm twenty-seven, thirteen, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. In the land of the living. I had fainted. Unless. I believed in the goodness of the Lord. So unless I believed in the goodness. Unless, except that I believed in the goodness of the Lord. I would have fainted. You, know, you look out on the world today. And if you look at things here under the sun. It will cause you to faint pretty quickly. It's very discouraging. Very discouraging. Just like Noah, we need to keep looking out. Uh, so like Asaph, you know, he looked around, and things looked looked bleak. Looked like he was worse worse off than the world was until he went into the house of the Lord, then went to the sanctuary. Then I understood therein. You see, it's the nature of life is that there is something better that we always want. And, you know, we replace things for things that are better. Isn't that the way we do things? We, you know, buy a certain thing, and then we buy, find something better that we like, and we may buy that to replace that thing that we had before that we thought was good because something else came out that was better. 
If we don't believe and dwell on the Lord's loving kindness and goodness toward us, we will start looking for something else to satisfy us. That's what happened to the children of Israel. They started looking around at all the other nations. They said, hmm, we want a king like they had. Now maybe, you know, when I was, a, when I was a, a kid, you know, Daniel's age, I used to look at the, my friends, families, and think, I wish we could have all what they had. Because it always seemed that they had things better than we had. And there were some things they had that was better than we had. But I look at my, one of my best friend's families. Their son that was my age was killed when he was 21 in a car wreck. His father's brother was killed in a farm accident. His nephew, his father's nephew, was killed in a farm accident. All of us are still living. We've never, you know, I look at another family that we envied. Their oldest son committed suicide. We never had to deal with that, those kind of things. You see, what you see on the outside that, all, that may look good in the world, if you were there, maybe it wouldn't look so good. It wouldn't look so good. And sometimes, too often, we get to looking at things around us, and we think they're better than what we have it with the Lord. But it's not so. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 9. Verse 24. Nehemiah 9.24, So the children went in and possessed the land, and thou subduest before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gavest them into their hands with their kings and the people of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of all goods, wells digged, vineyards and olive yards and fruit trees in abundance, so that they eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness." Nevertheless, they were disobedient, rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and slew the prophets which testified against them to turn them to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies, who vexed them. In the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors, who saved them out of their hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee, therefore Lessest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them? Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testifiest against them, that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. Uh, yet many years didst thou forget, bear them, and testifiest against them, by the Spirit in thy prophets, yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great and the mighty and the terrible God, who keepest covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee, 
that hath come upon us, on our kings, on our princes, and on our priests, and on our prophets, and on our fathers, and on all thy people since the time of the kings of Assyria unto this day, howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Neither have our kings, our priests, our, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearken unto thy commandments, and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. Uh, for they have not served in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in the large and fat land which thou gavest before them, neither turn they, they from their wicked works. So, you know, the, the children of Israel got all this, the vineyards, the houses, the cities, uh, uh, you know, the olive yards, and the wells already digged, and, and uh, you know, abundance of things just given to them. But they began to look around and say, oh, they have it better than we do. We have better than we They weren't satisfied with the goodness of God. And so we need to dwell in the goodness of God. Keep that in our minds, the goodness of God. Thirdly, there needed to be an avoidance of evildoers. Notice verses 4 and 5. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I get in with assemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and not sit with the wicked. Uh, so he said, he's avoided, I've not sat with vain persons. Vain speaks of those who practice falsehood, or one of the definitions was, they're just worthless. Do you ever know somebody and you say, well, he's just about worthless? Yeah, they're of no value. They're no heavenly good nor earthly good. <laughs> and, and that's what he's talking about here. They're, they're worthless. They have no character. Uh. And, and, and really, a vain man, you know, Esau was really a vain man. His life was empty. It wasn't of any value. James 2, 19, 20 says, If thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Wilt thou know, O vain man? Faith that works is dead. If you think that your faith without works is going to get, going to pass, your, vain, your thinking is vain. By their fruits ye shall know them. So he said, I avoid vain persons. I also avoid uh, dissemblers. Neither will I go in with dissemblers. Now, a dissembler is one who has a secret or a hidden agenda. You know, they may appear on the surface to be your friend. And be kind and, you know, want to do right and all that. But behind the scene, they have an agenda, a hidden agenda, a secret agenda. Absalom was a dissembler. He had a hidden agenda. When all the people of, uh, of, the, of the northern kingdom came, the men of Israel came to David for, he pulled them aside and, and you know, and, and kissed them and, and show them affection and kindness and care. And they would confide in him. He had an agenda. It was to undermine his father, the king. He also says here, I hated evildoers. Now, most people say you shouldn't hate anyone, but many times people say that you should that people that say you shouldn't hate are the most hateful people there are. Uh, but the psalmist says here, 
I hate the congregation of evildoers. Uh, evildoers are mischievous or injurious. They're just bad and corrupt. They're out to do you injury. By the way, speaking about agenda, I read today that now that left is very upset with Mike Pence, particularly his wife, because she's teaching in a Christian school where you can't be a teacher and be a homosexual. In fact, you can't even be a student in that school if you're LBGT. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, you see, they, and they've wanted, they wanted, you know, they said all along that their agenda was not to shut us down, but just to keep us I I out, of, out of the public sector. But all of a sudden, this, that's, that's not good enough either, because that's all within the, the school where she is, you know. They have an agenda. They are hateful, evil people, injurious. And he said, I'm not sit with. The word sit with, uh, not sit with, has the idea of not associate with, be friends or pals with. It means to cause to set or dwell or abide with. Mary, you know, uh, the world will say, oh, we're just going to go hang out. No, you won't hang out with those kind of people. Witness to them, yes, but they're not our friends. They're not our acquaintances that we fellowship with, associate with. Psalm 1 is very clear. Blesses the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So we're to avoid evildoers. Um, he that walketh wise men should be wise, but a companion of fools shall be, a, be destroyed. So we need to stay away from evildoers. And then fourthly, uh, an act of, Again, prerequisite for walking in, my, in integrity is an act of witness for the Lord. Again, two things here, verses 6 and 7. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I come beside honor, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. So an act of witness for the Lord includes confession of sin. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar. Your washing, of course, speaks of cleansing. Speaks of confession in an altar. He's going to compass the altar. It, you know, it, really, this, the idea here is keeping short accounts with the Lord or not allowing sin to continue unconfessed and cause continued guilt and broken fellowship with the Lord. You know, 1 John 1 1.9 says, you know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we know there is sin, something we are... Not we should not have done, and we did, or something we know is right and will not do. We need to confess it. Confess it. The word confess there means really to agree with. Agree with God about it. So we need to confess it. He says, so we need to confess our sin to the Lord. Was, I believe it was uh, Spurgeon that said, sin darkens the heart and blinds the eye that it cannot see the goodness of God and therefore robs us of a thankful witness. And, and that brings us to the second point here. We're to testify with thanksgiving, verse 7, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. The, the, the word uh, publish here means to utter a voice or cry, and it especially has to do with singing. Nehemiah 12, 42 and 43 says, And Messiah, 
Maziah and Shemaiah and Eliezer and Uzi and Jehohanan and Malchijah and Elam and Ezer. And the singers sang loud with Jezehiah, their overseer. Also that day they offered great sacrifice and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. So they, they sang loud, and they heard their rejoicing afar off. In Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> Psalm 126, verses 1 through 3, says, When the Lord turned again in the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. See, he says, the, 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 uh, Their mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. And the heathen said, The Lord hath done great things for them, whereof we are glad. And so, there needs to be an act of witness. We need to testify with thanksgiving. And again, sin darkens the heart and blinds the eye that cannot see the goodness of God. You know, Romans 1 bears that out. They, they became vain imaginations and they were, what was the first part? They were unthankful. They failed to accept or see the goodness of God and became unthankful. And then they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts was darkness. Notice the psalmist said here in verse 3, For thy love and kindness is before mine eyes. We need to continually behold it and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, an active witness. And then, fifthly, there needs to be an abiding presence in the Lord's house. Notice verses 8 through 10. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. Uh, he said, I have loved the habitation of thy house. That I have affection for. I have affection for. We ought to love the house of God or the assembly. We ought to love it. After all, Christ died for it. He loved the church and gave himself for it. And we ought to love his church. We ought to love his church. There ought to be an affection there. Uh, it, is, it is, he said, I love the habitation of thy house. That word habitation speaks of a dwelling, like a home. Just like we love our home, we all love the church. Deuteronomy 12, 5, he says, But unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall ye seek, and thither thou shalt come. In Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, he says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom also, ye, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. See, this is the habitation of God. 
And we ought to love it. We ought to have an affection for it. An affection for it. It is the place where he is to be honored and glorified. Notice he says in verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. You know, the, the church, the assembly, ought to be a place where the Lord's glorified, where he's honored. It's not about us. It's about him. The Ephesians 1.22 says that he is the head. He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He is the head over all things. In chapter 3, verse 21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. See, the church is a place where God ought to be glorified. It's not about promoting people or exalting people. It's about the Lord. We ought not come seeking, uh, uh, seeking uh, what position or what can I do or how can I look. You know. No, it's about the Lord. Unto him be glory in the church. Then notice, notice lastly, number six, there needs to be determined choices. And, and really this whole passage is about choices, but in verses 11 and 12 he says, But as for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. As for me, he says, I will walk. You know, what he's saying here is, God, I have chosen you to be my Lord. You're the one who instructs me, leads me, guides me, and keeps me. So therefore, I will walk in my integrity. You know, Joshua was a great warrior. We would say he was a great man. He was a great man of God. And God commanded him and instructed him what to do or how to go into battle. He'd always seek the Lord, except in you know, one time he failed to seek the Lord. Remember with the Gibeonites. They asked not counsel of the Lord. Now, Joshua wasn't a puppet on a string. He simply chose to seek the Lord and follow the Lord's counsel. You remember when he was about to die in Joshua 24, he said to the children of Israel, you know, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You need to choose. See, it's, a, it's, it's our choices. And the psalmist here said, I will walk in my integrity. You, know, you notice throughout this, he said, I have trusted. I have walked, verse 1. I have trusted, verse 1. I have not sat, verse 4. I have hated, verse 5. I will wash my hands in innocence, verse 6. So will I compass thine honor. I may publish. I have loved the habitation. You know, all, it's all choices that he made. He also says here in the last verse, my foot standeth in an even place. That's like, it's easier to walk on level ground, is it not? 
know, when I was, I guess I was about 20, my brother bought a farm near Mount Union, Pennsylvania, had a lot of mountain land. And we'd go over there to hunt. It was good hunting. But man, was the rock. And you had to be careful. It was, it was difficult. Because the rocks, you know, a lot of the rocks were about this big. And they were just, you know, one on top of the other. And they were all different shapes and sizes. And none of them were flat. Some of them had moss when we're slippy, especially if they were wet. And then, of course, hunting season is in wintertime. Deer, deer season is always in wintertime. And sometimes be ice up there on those things. You talk about treacherous walking. But, you know, you get down on the level ground, it's a lot easier. See, David said, I've, I've placed my feet on the level ground. See, walking with God is level ground. It is a safe place. It is a upright place. And that's really what the meaning here is, a place of uprightness. It's an upright place. So David said, I've planted my feet on level ground. My foot standeth in an even place. Notice he says, in the congregations will I bless the Lord. So I have put my feet, planted my, placed my feet in places of uprightness. In other words, I, I associate with people of uprightness. You know, David was a wise man, and he brought people and into his life that would serve as guards and guides for him. You know, Zadok was a faithful man. Ahithophel turned out to be a traitor. But Zadok was a faithful counselor. You know, David chose men that would help him, that would, that would help protect him. So he brought people of uprightness, and he, he associated in places of uprightness. You know, many times we can, we, can, we can protect ourselves just by simply going to the right places and not going to the wrong places. You know, there are people in jail tonight because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they became an accomplice in some way to a crime. And they're in jail. Not because they actually committed the crime, but because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And many times we can protect ourselves from sin simply by being in the right place and not being where we shouldn't be. Not associating with people we should not associate with. Walking with wise men. And so, you know, again, it's, it's, it's choices. Walking in integrity is the fruit of choices. Of putting our dependence on the Lord. Allowing him to examine us and prove us. Dwelling, you know, thinking about his loving kindness to us. And his goodness and mercies. Avoiding evildoers. Having an active witness, confessing our sin and testifying with thanksgiving, and abiding in the Lord's house. And then making determined choices. Walking 
in safe places with the Lord. Might God help us in 2019 to walk in integrity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the encouragement and the challenge it gives to us. Thank you for the simplicity and the instructions. Father, I pray you'd help us to heed the instructions. Help us to simply make these wise choices. Like those who have gone before us, Father, that they, we, we might be led in paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. And Lord, we, we pray that you just give us uh, strength and courage and, and uh, help us just to make those, those right choices that will glorify and honor you. And we'll thank you and praise you for it. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.